I'm Carolyn Osorio, and this is Pippi Mama, Life Outside the Cookie Cutter. In each podcast, I will be serving up a generous portion of inspiration, family style, to feed our dream appetites. I share stories of inspiring people who have one thing in common. They never listen to naysayers. They don't worry about what other people are doing, but what feels right. Wherever that story leads me, I am compelled to tell it. This week, that story led me to Sir Mix-a-Lot, who parlayed a tribute to women with curves into hip-hop immortality. But even before he struck crossover gold, Sir Mix-a-Lot was one of rap's great DIY success stories. Coming from a city, Seattle, with barely any hip-hop scene to speak of, Sir Mix-a-Lot co-founded his own record label, promoted his music himself, produced all his own tracks, and essentially pulled himself up by the proverbial American bootstraps. And you know, you are just like everywhere in Seattle. Like Seattle Met, I've seen you a couple of times in there. But what really got me was when I saw you on the Seattle Symphony and my brother-in-law and his wife are like huge. They're like season ticket holders. That was like total random. <laughs> but you know what? It was like, if I wasn't a fan before, I don't know, what was that like for you? I mean, that was like, like back um, in 2014. Was, it was intimidating. Yeah. Because, you know, I thought we were going to like rehearse like a lot of times. But yeah. no, I got sent a version by Gabriel, who put the who composed it, and I'm like, okay. So when do we rehearse? He said, when I get there. I'm like, okay, he's gonna get here. And no, that was a year later. <laughs> so a year later, um, we get there, and the day before the show, uh-huh. we rehearse. Okay. So they reached out to you and said, hey, we're doing this show. We want to. No, actually, feature- Gabriel. He was a composer. Okay. And um, he was a composer, and he kind of called and said he had this idea, and he wanted to try it, and. It was beautiful because it was lightning in the bottle because everybody tried to imitate it after that and it didn't really work. Yeah. There was that feeling that as I was watching it unfold, like you were just like, come on up, ladies, and you see the yeah, women come up. Yeah, you see up. the people playing like, what and, the and, hell is this? And I could see you, like all these women just kept yeah. coming. Yeah, I and thought it was going to be three or four. I, it's just an anthem for women who aren't the, the stop sign yeah, exactly. like figure that you talked about. You did right. were on Oprah recently. Right, and. Right. And it was just like, it was so amazing. And you just like handled that, like you're on stage, there's probably about 30 women, you know, shaking their butts. Yep. And how, how did you feel at that time? Like you said, it was kind of off the cuff. Well, we pull women on stage every night, but at you gotta remember, these women were reading sheet music 20 minutes earlier <laughs> yeah. with their legs crossed, yes. sipping wine. Yes. And I'm like, this ain't gonna work, uh-huh. this ain't gonna work. But I just did what I do. Once I, I just said, you know what, if we get two people, that's great. So when the show is about living your life outside the cookie cutter, I've read interviews with you over the years and you've said, you know, I've got to be me. You're a Seattle rapper, you know, when you were starting your career, when everybody else is from L.A. and and New York. And and you kind of made a decision, like, you know, talk about that a little bit. Well, I I, I knew really quick that if I was from New York, who was going to buy my record, right? They heard that story before. If I was from L.A., who was going to buy the record? They heard that story before. Um, And I learned very early to be comfortable being me. For some reason, in some segments of hip-hop, it's cool to be stupid. At least it was then. Like, stupid was cool. (laughs) Stupid meaning, like, goofy, or stupid meaning, like... Stupid meaning illiterate. Back in those days, you don't see it as much now, but back in those days, I saw people that would look at a cat like Will Smith, who was intelligent, well-spoken, and there was something wrong with that. And I'm like, wow, you guys got it all backwards. And I just said, I'm not not gonna be there. I'm not gonna dumb myself down to be considered real. You know, real is what you are. And if you are doing songs about shooting people in the head you never did, that's probably not real. So I just made up my mind. I'll just be what I am, um, have fun with my stuff, and stay grounded. That, which is not easy to do. 
a lot of people have what's special about them. Like they want to be other people. They want to be, you know, yeah. and what really makes you weird or makes you different or makes you goofy or whatever is what makes you special. Yeah. What did you feel? Talk about that a little bit. Well, you know, I always thought if everybody else is zigging, I wanted to zag. And but when I say that, I, that doesn't mean I want to wear a polka dot suit with yeah. high water pants and yeah. Yeah. split shoes. I, I, that's not what I'm talking about. What I mean is if everybody else is singing about one thing, I'm going the opposite direction. And that was the way I wanted to be. If everybody else was saying all women are bitches, I wanted to praise one. And that's why I did Baby I Back. So it kind of, it was 180 degrees out of phase from everything that was in the game. So I knew I wouldn't get their fans, but I knew I'd create a new type of fan. And I was comfortable with that. And I've always been comfortable. More importantly, I'm comfortable with, the, with what I'm not good at. And that, that to me is almost as important as knowing what you are good at. And I, I learned from Rick Rubin, he told me one day, and I never will forget it, it's not what you think you are, it's what they think you are that matters in this business. And I never forgot that. Wow. Yeah. Well, what do you think, like, okay, it's not what you think you are, it's what they think you are. So is that, like... It doesn't make it true. But when you're trying to sell music to the masses, you can tell them all day long who you are. But if they see you as something else... Hope that that something else is good. <laughs> That's what I was going to say. Yeah. What if it's what you don't want? Because you're well, trying to get what <clears throat> you do want yeah. as an artist. And it's all about what person. you put out there, though. Yeah. It's, it's a lot of millionaire entertainers are running around trying to act anti-establishment. And then when they get spotted in a Ferrari at Safeway, they're like, please don't put this out. Please don't take a picture of this. That's fake. <clears throat> and once that gets out, it's out. Um, but you'll talk to people when they see me. I'm always the same. Why do you think that is that people want to be other people? Watching this, uh, I read this interview, like, for example, Prince, who was just so amazing, but he was like, I want to be myself, and he was that through and through from the beginning when he was 17 years yeah. old and made his first record. That's why he was is Prince. America's pretty interesting. I mean, you know, pop culture's interesting. When you watch TV, we idolize sometimes the lowest common denominator. And I'm not, not going to go any further than that, but we look at something, mm -hmm. it's a complete train wreck. <laughs> But because they're wealthy, we want to be it. So you get mimics. Yes. And people think that's the recipe. That's, right. that's the recipe for success, which is not always the recipe for happiness. Two different things. And I'm not that. I, I know that that doesn't work. What made Prince Prince is there wasn't a prince before him. Mm -hmm. That's what made him unique. Um, and, you, you know, you can take Michael Jackson. Mm -hmm. And then you can find another guy that tried to be Michael Jackson. He may have done well, but not as good as Michael Jackson. Right. Because he's a mimic. So right. he may get halfway there, which is still big. Yeah. But, um, you know, Jimi Hendrix, there'll never be another one. Co going back to you, like, Baby Got Back, I loved in your Oprah interview how you were saying that you were tired of seeing, you know, the same type of personality, you know, yeah. on TV. And, That's what and I mean by pop culture is that if you, if you take what magazines and, and TV still do, but they were really doing it then, they were trying to convince us, the masses, that women six feet tall at 112 pounds was the norm. Right, right. And I'm like, where? You know, that's not what I see every day. And we all aspired to be that yeah. because we were told that's the norm. That's what you need to be. And I said, you know, what if I come completely the opposite? Well, what I loved about that interview, too, is you said that um, you wanted to poke fun at the establishment, but that, mm -hmm. you know, you didn't want to take it too far. No. And I think that that's really smart because... You know, stuff gets so heavy when people just go like crazy, like wanting to make a point. And that's the height of hypocrisy, because you'll see people diss something that they do every day, which is hypocrisy. So I wasn't trying to, you know, the little poke at Cosmo was only because they were the big kid on the block, 
right? And mm-hmm. it wasn't really a, it wasn't really distant Cosmo because they have cool stories. Yeah. But when girls at 15 years old who have beautiful, curvy little bodies, mm-hmm. not talking about women shaped like me, mm-hmm. I'm talking about girls who really have it together. Yeah. You got some curves. They thought they were ugly. They were convinced in that era. And that's what people keep, keep forgetting is that when I wrote that song, especially women of color, they only played a few things on television other than Claire Huxtable. Mm-hmm. They were, you know, prostitutes, maids. That's all they played. Or, or, or the, the one that used to irritate me was the housekeeper at a wealthy house owned by white people. And she was the voice of reason. And she took care. I hated those parts. Like, oh, you know, I can't, I can't. It was like some mom can't manage her own child and they bring in the help. Right, right. Whoo, man, I hate those parts. But that's what we were doing at that time. And I, I wanted to say, wait a minute, you know, these women are gorgeous. And, you know, there's a group of elitists in a room telling them they're not. And if they convince them that they're not, knowing they can never be what the magazine says is beautiful, they'll always aspire and spend money on those products. Well, I think that that is, you know, you talk about it in the past, and you're right. It was even more so then. There's way yeah. more that yeah. diversity than what there was, you know, back in 1992 or when, when it came out. I remember out, but... an argument I had with a video director in 1994. And we were doing a video, and I said, look, you know, I'd like to get some girls with a little more curves, a little more meat on their bones. And he said, well, like who? So I said, I just used Marilyn Monroe as an example. Mm-hmm. And he went, well, Marilyn Monroe looked like a whore. I said, why? He couldn't say why, but what he, the curves, it wasn't him. He wanted a waif-thin heroin addict, which is cool, but we didn't look at those waif-thin girls and diss them. We just right. said, okay, that's no, you. And I, I think that's me. the power of it, but all you have to do is look at that Seattle Symphony video. Yeah. And all those women, majority of them, you know, happen to be white and, you mm-hmm. know, what, whatever. I honor wh- what you, as you said, for the, the sisters, but it really yeah. is for women. It for you know, it's still, and it, re- and it still is. Yeah. And that's like, you know, that, that is the power of that song. I was playing, no, not, Corpus Christi, Texas one time. And the crowd was very strange for Corpus Christi because it wasn't a spring break kind of crowd. Mm-hmm. It was kind of a country western kind of crowd. So <clears throat> I cracked the joke before I did Baby Got Back, I said, now a lot of people think this song is only for black folks. So let me ask you fellas something. Jennifer Anderson now versus Dolly Parton at her peak and everybody cracked up. <laughs> I said, which one? And they all said Dolly. I'm like, see, mm-hmm. this song is for all of us. I mean, if this was like something I, I didn't think it would blow up though. I thought the song would be pretty much dismissed as either sexist or they wouldn't get it. Yeah. One of the two. I didn't think it would blow up like that. But you, um, that that's, that's, that's the thing that you took, you know, you've taken risks in your career. Yeah. You know, you haven't, All like... Especially some of my business deals. I, I do a lot of weird business deals that I don't even talk about. People are like, what the hell would you do that for? But, well, where, what, like, the weird business deals, like, like, are you happy with the weird business deals? Oh, yeah. Or are you, like, like... It's just something, you know, you, as you get older, my dad told me this would happen. He said, as you get older, some people are going to think that you think you're smarter than everybody. I said, what do you mean? He said, because you'll be able to predict things before they happen. Doesn't mean you're smarter. It just means you've been around longer. Yeah. And and I'm at that point now where I can sit down in the meeting and I can almost feel where this person's trying to go with the deal and I can and sometimes I act on that. And a lot of times we're right, you know, knock on wood if I can find someone here. Yeah, here. <laughs> <Someone's>. <laughs> knock on faux leather. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So so do you do you love that that you've been in the business long enough now and have the you know, the smarts to like make deals and because I think like Nicki Minaj did your redid your the reboot. And, you know, everybody thought that you were going to just take, like, a million bucks or something. And is this one of those deals that you were talking about yeah, where you're, like... the thing is, I wanted her to do the song. So, for me to come in with some crazy-ass number, you know, well, we want 
750 grand. She's taking a chance. She's taking a chance doing a song that some people consider a classic and some people hated it. Mm -hmm. Right? So my thing is, I wanted her to do it. So I knew that if it worked, the back end would be there. Pardon the pun. And it was. Well, and it was. <laughs> yeah, and it ended, up, it ended up happening. So that's that's what I mean when I say So I, did you know that going in, like, hey, I know. I, I have a feeling that this is going to gonna Initially, gonna really I didn't work. know. I had no clue until I talked to her on the phone. And I'm serious. When I talked to her on the phone, it's I love hearing artists work. Um, especially an artist who a lot of people, they don't think she's an artist. think she just walks walks in and raps just fall out of her ass no <laughs> she no she was pretty passionate about it and I was really not that I was surprised I'm not surprised she was smart I was just surprised at how passionate she was how she wasn't just talking about the song like oh I want it to hit she was talking about the chorus whether or not she should do scratching how many bars on this how many bars on that should she should she do a dead stop here or should she just pull something out? I mean it was just like the the depth um, of knowledge she had as far as recording was concerned was impressive and I love that stuff yeah. that's my first love is making songs yeah more than anything I'd, I'd rather be doing this than be on stage like arranging and like yes. putting stuff together and initially I wasn't crazy about rapping myself I mean what got me in the music was I, I loved music but I didn't want to do it what made me want to do music was I was watching MTV one day and a commercial came on about craft work this band oh the Germany. band yeah yeah and I noticed you were so funny craft work oh yeah craft work and they weren't playing drums they didn't have guitars synthesizer dude had this shit strapped to his arm and he was playing <laughs> drums boom 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 he was hitting these pads and I'm like oh my goodness I said that's what I want to do because I was already in the technology so I was probably the first guy I know with a home studio I mean I literally started with a little cassette deck two cassette decks and I do what you call overdub I dub back and forth and put my vocals in and then I got a bigger deck, and then I got a, a reel a reel, and I just I started. I had two jobs, and I was buying equipment. Um, and then uh, uh, Ed Lock and Nasty Ness Rodriguez came up to see me DJ at the Rotary Boys Club on 19th and Spruce, and they took me to Chinatown to eat. And I thought I thought this guy must be wealthy. He could go to Chinatown. Mm -hmm. You know, we're sitting there eating something <laughs> called Humbao. Like, oh, I love this stuff. <laughs> and um, he asked me, "What do you want to do?" And to show you how simple my Dreams where I said, I just want to make a record. I meant one record. I didn't mean records for the masses. I want to make a record so I can scratch my own voice. That was it. And he looked at me like, ooh. So why, it's so great that you stayed true to Seattle. Like yeah, with all I your fame place. and fortune that you're, you know, we're here and, and, and you're like the trees and beautiful Seattle is yep. expressed around us. I mean... Not necessarily Seattle, but in the Pacific yeah, Northwest. Yeah, the Northwest, yeah. I mean, it's it's pretty cool because I'm sure that they, you know, you've had people coveting you to move to, you know, Los Angeles or New York. What what keeps yeah. you grounded to Seattle? Seattle itself. I, it's kind of weird. I remember when I when I really knew that I couldn't leave Seattle. I was flying high. I was young. You know, I had my Grammy, I had my American Music Award, and <laughs> everything was going perfect. And I go to the Grammys, and a bunch of Seattle bands were there. Allison Chains, Nirvana, I think Soundgarden, just a bunch of pre-Pearl Jam, obviously. And to hear them talk, it was just, you know, they were like laid back. It wasn't fancy, no limos. And it was, I, was, I was the only moron standing there. Well, were, were you a part of the group? Did they, did, were Not they really. like, hey, Mix, how you doing? They, they did, you know, like... they did, but I walked in and just to see how mellow, they weren't really talking about anything in specific, mm -hmm. but just, I looked at the Seattle bands and I looked around at the other ones and I'm like, oh my God. You know, these other guys had toupees and 
and you know, it's, it's yeah. crazy diamonds this big. It fits and, your personality. It's more yeah. low key and yeah. relaxed. Yeah, I like to blend in. And I get a little uncomfortable sometimes when I'm out and somebody says, "Can I take a picture?" But I've always kind of held the view that if you worked at a place and your boss told you, "Hey, come over and take a quick picture." You'd probably do it, and they're my bosses, so that's why I do it. That is such a grounded way to think about it, because fame is so. Well, you got to lose it first. And and you and you. Oh yeah, Ooh. man. Let me tell you something. I was spending money like it was crazy, and all of a sudden, it stopped. It's like somebody turned the water off, and I said, "Oh my goodness, what the hell happened?" Because it was, you know. Remember, I went from zero to hero. I know. Really quick. I, I, yeah, I mean, isn't mm-hmm. that isn't that so common and, and like normal to yeah. go from having nothing to then suddenly? And then you lose it because you got it so easy. You know, you take a guy who had to swing a hammer every day, and after fifteen years of swinging that hammer, he gets wealthy. That money ain't going nowhere. I was doing something I loved. I didn't consider making music work, right? So all of a sudden, and I'm like, I just thought money grew on trees. And, and how old were you when you when you started making money? Um, probably about. 25, 26. So I, I was making a little money at 22, but enough to want more. If yeah. that makes any sense. <laughs> of course it makes sense. <laughs> right. So, uh, yeah, and, 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 and I was very shallow because I was young. Mm-hmm. Well, I remember I, I, I read a quote where you were kind of bitching about or griping about like having to owe back taxes, and your brother was like, you know what? You know, when's the last time you talked to mom? I was like, wow, that's, that's really. Yeah, that's yeah really- I, was, I remember that. I was outside washing my car. And uh, my brother's sitting there, you know, he smokes, he's, he has this thing where he smokes and looks in the air when we're thinking, <laughs> right? So we're sitting there talking and I'm pissed off, you know, everything's going bad, the IRS is coming and it's like, I'm blaming everybody. Mm-hmm. This guy, this, and this guy didn't do this, and where's my check, and where's, and you know, the way he recommended I go see mom was more like he was saying, you need to look in the mirror again. Yeah, no. That's kind of the way he said when it. I, when I read that, I was like, wow, I mean, I can, yeah. that informs me in my life because we get yeah. so caught up in all this like, yeah. craziness. Yeah, you know? and, I, and, I, and I did that. And I, um, I started a little small business building uh, amplifiers for amateur radio operators. You know, just to kind of... Was this after the money was gone? Or yeah. was this, okay. Yeah, I did that for a little while. And, you know, it kind of got me back going, got everything, kept the lights on, kept things going. Then my, then my passion came back for the music because I got back to doing it for the right reason, not for the money, but for the fun. So I started producing stuff for fun. Mm-hmm. I didn't even release it. I still have some right now. I just did it for fun and I started to love it again. And then I asked to be released from, from the major label. The reason I asked to be released because I realized I can't really control how people view me at all they do. And if they're no longer interested in you as an artist, they can keep you on the roster. Mm-hmm. But to the world, you're a has-been because you're not allowed to get back out front of yourself and, and say, hey, here's what's going on. So I left. Thank goodness. Um, everybody said that was crazy. You, you can make money sitting there. now. That was the best thing I ever did because then I started to go out, get out in public and not be ashamed. So, I mean, when I do shows, I don't really like yellow tape and limos and everybody will tell you that too. I mean, I walk right out in the crowd, no security. I just go out in the crowd. I mean, I'm not a sex symbol. I'm not worried about it. I might get my ass pissed every now and then, but I like that. You know, so I just run out in the crowd and do shit like that because that's how I am. But I. But you're such a great performer. You say that, and yet it. you are. Is it like you're like a an, an introvert pretending to be an extrovert? That's what my sister tells me. I'm I think like so. an introvert pretending to pretending to be an extrovert. I think extrovert. so because I'm in here in my studio, and. You know, redoing everything, rewiring everything, and I'm completely at peace. Yeah. I don't, um, I mean, I have a Lamborghini in the garage, but you never see me at Seward Park or Alki. 
It's just not my thing. You're not going like, to go cruising? No. Not my style. I bought the car because I love the car. Yeah. So when I, I drive around this mountain by myself at night and have a ball. So yeah. what did you want to be known for? Like, what did you want to be like? Heavy you know? into electronics. And when I say electronics, I don't mean electronics that someone else built. I mean stuff that I actually built by hand. I, I'm a tech fanatic first. That's what got me into music. I, I build amplifiers. I've been building communication amplifiers since I was 13 years old. And we're in your studio, your home studio yeah, right wired. now, and it's and it's all here. Like yeah. right now, I am so intimidated with all the machinery and like, <laughs> but this is yeah. what you this love what to I do. do. I love wiring it up, although this is a little overwhelming. Uh, but only I know where it goes, so I have to get it right. Um, and that's what I wanted to be known for, was the, the tech aspect of music, but that didn't work out. Where, where does that come from? Did you have someone teach you when you were young? Or? When I was a kid, my mom um, bought me some walkie-talkies. I broke one. Didn't know what I did. I broke one. I went inside of it, and I was like, okay, this thing, this little wire thing, looks like it was once here, but this silver stuff is holding it on. What is that stuff? <laughs> so I went to Radio Shack. I understand what you're saying right now, and yeah. I am, like, so low-tech. Yeah, <laughs> and they said, that's solder. I said, okay, so what do I do? They said, you take this, you heat up the solder, and I learned how to solder and fix stuff. And then I went and bought an amateur radio handbook and I taught myself how to read schematics. Like what's a resistor, what's a capacitor, what's a tuning capacitor. And I started just fixing stuff for people. When I was a kid, it's kind of interesting. When I was a kid, I was like 17 years old. I had a friend of mine that was a big ham operator and he would bring me other guys' amps to fix. He took credit for it. Because they were not gonna give, a 17 year old black kid is gonna fix my amplifier. And I'm in Port Angeles and I'm a millionaire and I want, I'm gonna let this kid get in my box, but that's what I did. Um, and I, I built some monster, I mean, amps bigger than this mixing table. From this, when I say built the amp, I don't mean I bought parts that someone else assembled. No, I mean starting with wires, transistors, resistors, capacitors, tubes, and built them up. Mm -hmm. and, and is this in Seattle? Yeah, Seattle. Yeah, I lived in the Bryan Manor Apartments on uh, 19th and Yesler. Oh my gosh, okay. Yeah, that's where I used to live. And back when, you know, it was a different neighborhood then, mm -hmm. believe me. And um, Is that anywhere near Yesler Terrace? Yeah. Like that, yeah, okay. yeah. We used to play basketball against the guys at Gessler Terrace. And, oh. I mean, I, you know, it, back then I was torn between my love for technology and wanting to be a pimp. <laughs> that was all I saw. I mean, it's yeah. all I had access to. I'm laughing, but you're being serious. Yeah, seriously. Okay. I thought okay. pimping was the equivalent of the president then. Because, like, whoa, black man with a Because you, you saw them making money. I th yeah, and I thought it was real. And thank God I met a guy named Joe who forever changed my life, but that's another story. Is he the one that taught you how to do electronics? No. Um, he was, uh, he was uh, a student at the UW at the time, taking architecture. And uh, I don't know if it was for extra credit or whatever, but he decided to take us hard-head kids in the summer. And we had a job, and he was our supervisor. I'm like, I don't know why he's doing this. And we were, I was, oh God, 14 maybe? And he asked all of us what we wanted to do. And there were no, there was no crack there, no, no drug deals. So it was all pimping. Mm -hmm. I'm like, I want to be a pimp. And he's like, What? And he just, he couldn't believe it. Um, actually, it almost made him cry. Then we were like, what's wrong with this guy? We thought it was normal. Aww. And he took us out. Yeah. I never will forget, he took us down on Lake Washington area. Mm -hmm. And he pulls up at this guy's gate, honks the horn, and a black guy walked out. We're looking at this big mansion, and we're like, a black guy lives here? And it was Judge Johnson that used to work downtown Seattle. He was, you know, big time judge back then. And that changed me, because I saw it was accessible. It was gettable. Did, did Joe take you there for the express purpose yes. to, because all, were, were you guys all uh, the other kids that were with you were yes. they black too yes and we all you know we aspiration is very real very weird I should say in that if you can't see it you won't want to be it 
because you don't know it exists. Right. So whatever the pinnacle of your little circle is, that's as far as you want to go. So mm -hmm. that was a pimp for me because I lived on 19th and Yesler in that, in that era. Right. That's all it was. There was nothing to look at. And he changed that in one day. So you were doing, you were doing stuff at school. You would go in and talk to kids and stuff. You were yeah. trying to do for these kids what Joe did for you. Right. And the, they were having a problem with what you were saying? The, the problem, I, the reason I stopped doing um, panels and speeches at schools was because not, they don't want me to talk about capitalism. You know, don't talk about money. We just want to talk about... You really should, because one thing you learn hard in the ghetto, try living without it, because we did it. And I'm telling you, you know, good looks don't pay the bills. And this is the one thing that has always bothered me about some parents, um, especially minority parents, is that because the chance that their kids might fail, because those chances are high, they bring down the expectations so they don't feel like they're a failure. It sounds good, but you're almost ensuring they'll fail at that point. So it's not like I come in and go, hey, everybody want a car? No, but I start talking about the things you love. And you can't talk to a kid about bills and, and voting and all that stuff. You have to bring it down to, once again, what they have access to. What do you love? What do you covet? And when you hear a kid goes, you go, you know, man, my friend has two turntables and a mixer, and I got one turntable, I just wish I had a mixer. Well, you make that mixer the, the, the story. Right. And that's what I would do. I would say things you can do. You know, you can mow lawn, you can do this, you can do that. And for some reason, that, that message was um, not taken well by parents and, and teachers. It's like, what the hell am I missing here? You know what? It's, it's crazy nowadays. I mean, yeah. I'm speaking to, because I have five kids. Yep. And it's pretty insane how you can take something so benign as saying mow lawns, get jobs. You know, yeah. do, do stuff like, you know, when you're a kid in, yep. you know, the 90s or whatever. Yep. And before then. And it becomes this weird political, political thing. Yeah, and so, my thing is, if, if work ethic seems to be unfashionable, and then you have a bunch of lazy bastards sitting around downtown smoking weed, doing nothing. Then whose fault is it? You know, and I, 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 my mom, early on, I had a job at 14 cleaning freeways. Man. Yeah. Yeah, we were taking up with the poker, oh, man. cleaning the freeways. You know, they would never did they like pay you? Did they pay you anything or was it a $2.30 like, an hour. Oh, my gosh. Minimum wage was $2.30 an hour. That was my first job ever. Second job was busting up toilets in old uh, hotels and buildings and, and, and this is all in seattle yeah <laughs> but you know what's cool about that story is that that's what you want to go back and tell these kids because yeah. that's how it worked for you that's how it started, yeah. that's how it started. Yeah. and that is always kind of how it starts it starts by you you reach a goal it, you know you don't dumb it down let mm -hmm. a kid want to do something well like, i think with reality tv and everything they i think i read a study where the kids want to be famous instantaneously because right. they see that's how they see it happening and yeah. and and so were the kids interested in what you had to say when before the parents you know yeah. kibosh on it they were interested you can see them go really i can do that yeah. but some people saw that as greed but it wasn't greed it was it's capitalism it's what it's where we live mm -hmm. um and people crack me up they say oh money's not a big deal until you have to pay the rent Right. When the landlord shows up, you know, you can't just shake his hand and go, you know what, I just don't believe in capitalism. <laughs> okay, well, how about you believe in getting your ass out of my house? Yeah. And, and that's something I believe, and I believe, you know, my mom instilled that into me. You know, my, mom, my mom was a nurse at the King County Jail. Wow. Yeah, and she worked her butt off every day, walking between gangsters and stuff, with a little 38 snub nose in her purse, keeping her head down, getting on the bus every day. She didn't have a car, lived in the projects, and one day at 17 years old, I watched that and I went, She's doing all that for me. 
You know, and I, I, it just changed my whole way of looking at stuff. I'm like, I'm sitting on my ass. It was summertime. She's walking to that bus stop to go get food for me. I said, fuck, I gotta change. And I just made up my mind. From that point on, I have drive beyond belief. I will never get tired of trying. Mm -hmm. it's the, that's what makes the, the process. Then when you get to your goal, a guy like me, I'm like, okay, now what? <laughs> you know what I mean? Let's go to the next thing. Because that's kind of what she did. She kept, you know, she wasn't, she was born in 1929. Um, she, she moved up here at 16 years old. Had another friend who moved up here at 16 years old, years old. And they both got three jobs and put themselves in nursing school. Where did they move from? My mom, um, my mom came from Texas, Houston, Texas. Oh, okay. I don't know where Violet came from, but they met here, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and they just put it, put it together, put themselves. In the and was your mom a single parent, or did? Um... Yeah, my, well, my mom had me. Let's see, my dad stayed with my mom until I was seven. Okay. And then they separated, and like I said, we lost the house. We ended up back in the projects, and she was scared to leave those projects. When I got a little money, she was terrified that I was because we had been poor so long. She's yeah. like. You sure, honey? I said, Mom, I'm sure. I want you out of here. And she did not want to move. So finally, we just moved her stuff one day to the to this house, and it freaked her out. It, it really freaked her out. She just was not comfortable with it. And, and uh, I remember... Did, did you feel sad about that? No, because I knew what it was. She had been there so long that she didn't quite believe it was real. And would I mess up the money and lose it, she had to go back. Oh, right. Right? So... <laughs> Yeah. yeah, yeah. She um she moved in there finally, and 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 when she retired, that was it was funny because this lady said something really rude about her, and I bought my mom a BMW and I brought it to her job. I said, "This is yours, mom." She said, "This is mine." She said, "You really do make money, don't you?" Aww. I said, "Yeah." She said, "I'll be right back." And I'm like, "What the hell's going on?" And she went in there and told her boss to f herself. Good for her. My son's gonna take care because she said some really foul things about my mom's arthritis in her knee and. You yeah. know, you're slow, we don't need you anymore, that kind of stuff. And she told her to kiss where the sun don't shine, and that was it. Came that outside must have put felt so good to see your like, mom do that. That was awesome. That was awesome. That was, like, probably the happy one of the happiest days of my life right there, just seeing mom, just that independence. And then my sister kind of kicked in and helped out because she traveled a lot. So she'd take mom to the Bahamas, all these things she never did. She had to make her go because, you know, when, once again, that bubble. When all you've seen is Yesler Way, the King County Jail, pimps, hoes, and Cadillac does, you don't see anything else. And my sister's like, come on, let's go. My sister lived in San Francisco. And she'd take her down, take her to Bahamas, take her to Hawaii, go to Jamaica. That is so wonderful. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. The naysayers, they're so tough. Because like you said in one of your, your interviews, like, you know, people say I don't give enough, or people, it, no matter, you know, what you do, it's never going to be enough, and you're always going to be wrong. And, never, and, and then if you do give and you tell it, Oh, well, you had to tell it, so you just did it to us. Like, oh, my goodness. Exactly. Okay, you know? and you said, um, you know, what, what moves you more than anything is when people say you can't do it. Yes, I am motivated by negativity. I, I know, I, so am I, but isn't that bad? I mean, I guess it's good. I don't good, think but so. It, especially in America, it's a good thing. <laughs> I'm telling you, the, the goofiest time in my life was when I was on top of the world. I was the number one record. No, I can't even imagine what that's like. people were like, you got it, you did it, you got it, you did it. And all of a sudden I realized, oh, it's almost like I stopped. Yeah. Okay, I'm cool. <laughs> I, I thought I was done, you know, because yeah. there was nothing else to try to do. And I needed people to talk about me. So I have a few people in Seattle that have hated me from day one. <laughs> and I always wish them well because I need them to stay around. <laughs> yeah. Please, don't leave. Stay around. Hey, 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 to hey, get hey, your hey, butt hey. out of bed every day to yeah. like prove them wrong. Oh, my gosh. Yeah.
Well, that's funny. So, so if people don't have that, those people, what, what, what advice would you say? Like, you know, you know? I, tell, I, I tell people this all the time. I, I, I do this thing where I walk around and I look at people, types of people. And you'll notice there aren't a lot of types of people. They think everybody thinks they're individual because they hear it on TV. That's bullshit. They just hear that on TV. That's that's feel good stuff. But we're all we all have a type and a style, and there's something we are, and there's something we do well. But the problem is we're too busy. I'm too busy trying to do what you do instead of finding what I'm good at. And I always tell people there's something you are good at. There's something you excel at, but you don't know it yet. And and look for it because it is there and that sounds real cheesy and cliche and mystical <laughs> but i can tell you this I, I i have a few friends one was a huge guy at microsoft one was one of the forefathers of bluetooth one was one of the forefathers of pokemon and one was the head of hardware development at apple they all act alike i have that question right here all what do these people have in common uncontrollable drive all of them Sometimes they have the, their ability to focus, to laser focus, can almost be seen as a negative. That's what I've noticed. They um, successful. Just like cut through the BS to like yeah. get to it. They don't know how to deviate, and it's almost an illness because I've not all all success. I don't care who you are. I don't care what you do. If you're successful at it, at some point you're like this. You can't. You can't not do it, and. I used to try to balance myself and go, say balance, well, I'll do yeah. less of this and more of this. And I end, I end up, when I'm doing more of this, I'm thinking, I wonder if when I get home, could I run that wire this way and would it work better? <laughs> I'm, I'm always thinking about yeah. it and then you realize it's what I love. Yeah. So if you're going to love me, you better love what I love. I'd love that I love it because it ain't changing. And just accept yourself that, hey, yeah. I have to be this laser focused yeah, on I, this because this is what I have makes a me little happy. friend of mine, um, I won't say his name, and, and, and he's autistic. He's 22 years old. And the thing about autistic children, uh, they have gifts, and their yes. gifts are pronounced. Mm -hmm. He didn't know what his was. And one day, he went to Las Vegas, and he did the exotic, because we, we have an exotic car meet we do at Redmond Town Center every Saturday. And he's out there all the time talking about the cars. And, and um, so he gets in his Ferrari down there, and he's driving on the track. I saw the video of him driving, the instructor, said, I have never seen a person driving exotic for the first time like that. And he was counting, they, 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 he had a video, a GoPro video of this kid. Mm -hmm. This is what I mean, find what you're good at. He's in a corner, and the, the guy was telling him what the apex of the corner meant, how to accelerate to get out of the corner. Every time he went around that corner, I saw him going. He was counting. Oh, right. And he was, his eyes were shifting. He was looking at the apex and then looking at a car. He was looking at the distance and how long it would take to catch that car. Wow. And by the fourth lap, he was killing everybody, just wow. murdering guys. And it was just that ability to do that, that little yeah. thing. And now he's obsessed with driving, you know, wow. he's, and he should be. So I always, you know, that, that, like I said, it sounds corny, but every single successful person I've met, I pay attention to that. I really do. And you'll find that they have that Dr. Dre. I mean, Dr. Dre can sit in the studio for four days. I talked to Eddie Francis, who does a radio show with him. He said when they go in to track the show, they're in there five hours. He wants every edit right, perfect. Wow. You know, and it is what it is. I don't, and when people don't do it, they think they don't have it, but they do have it. Or they may see Kim Kardashian and go, she just stumbled into this and she just doesn't, she just got lucky. 
Um, did you see the app she put out? Did you see the, 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 the emojis she put out and how much money she made? She worked on those. She didn't just go, go make me some emojis. No, it's something about a person's ability to just, once you find what you love, you can't do, you can't stop. And I firmly, I know it. I don't just believe it. Well, what are you doing next? What is your, what's next up for you? Well, I, I got a bunch of stuff. I started a tech company called True Human Interface. And it's, once again. True Human Interface. Oh my yeah. gosh. Yeah. So what I'm trying to do is, is it's like, a, I, I think that technology, for some reason people see technology and man, it's, it's, they're separate. And that's why I think as much as I love my phone, it takes away tactility. You can't dial a phone anymore without looking at it. You know, when you were young and you had a push button phone, I could sit there and go, because I knew where five was and I, I could dial. So I want to bring some of that back to every, that's why you see all these knobs. That's a control surface that runs nothing but computer software, any computer software. But the tactility, you can work a hundred times quicker. Wow. But kids think tactility is new. So what I'm learning, I have a guy that's advising me, you know, the marketing angle and what to say when I pitch this product publicly. Um, and he said, you can't say back in the day. You can't say we used to, because kids then see it as, yeah, I don't want to do that. I want to go forward. So yeah. you have to make them think those knobs are new. You know, the, the, this touching and feeling stuff is new. <laughs> It sounds weird. No, I think it sounds true. smart. Yeah, and it sounds like you surround yourself with people who yeah. can advise you and you can see the laser focus yourself yep. to be successful. I mean, there's, 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 there's reasons why you are as successful as you are. And I always tell people, surround yourself with people you'd love to be. <laughs> you know, I have a buddy of mine named Brian. lives in Seattle. Good dude. Good dude. Very nice guy. You know, grew up in the streets. Hard, but he's, he's got his life right. And once again... It, you don't know what your calling is. So I'm doing, I'm selling some merchandise and he's at one of the shows and he's like, yeah, man, who made those hats for you? You know, I was telling him who made them and who made those shirts for you? Okay. That's all he said. A month later, I, I see him wearing his hat that had his company name on it, Kushko. And I'm like, who made that hat? I did. I'm like, you're kidding me. You made that hat. And I'm talking about Foot Locker, can't touch this. Mm -hmm. Right? So he made a Seahawk hat. And I was raising the, the flag and doing the 12th man thing. So I had the regular Seahawk hat on, the, the NFL version. When I got up to raise the flag, I took that hat off. And I, when I put on his hat, they went because it had the big 12 on it. And, oh it, and I can't, there's some IP in the hat. There's some intellectual property. I keep saying, dude, can you get, can you patent that, please? Yeah. Before I start talking about it publicly and somebody steals it. There's, some, there's one thing about this hat that no other hat has. And I can't say it, but I want to say it so bad. But long story short. If you meet this guy, you know, he's a street guy, but you could see he's thirsting for something. Yeah. So I brought him out to Redmond Town Center. He comes out to the car thing now. Yeah. And he sat down with a few guys and he was listening. And you could literally see him, street guy, like you could see him doing a lot of like deductive reasoning and listening to these guys talking. He's like, I can do this shit. You know? Well, it's almost street. When you have those street smarts, you can see things that other people can't yes. see. Because I'm kind of a, yes, I, I, I grew up poor myself. And my kids, yep. thankfully, you know, they they don't know what that's about. They, I mean, they, they know mommy's stories, but, you know, to a, a little extent. But, yes. but they don't, they don't know how to the street smarts you can't street you smarts can't, is business it, yeah you it's can't you can't teach it you've got it yeah. and if you don't have it it's not like you can't be you know there's plenty of billionaires to prove that you don't need street yeah. smarts when you come by them 
whatever way, but there that does give you that ability to yeah. suss stuff out like very quickly. He you was know? here the other day, Brian was, and, and it was a guy came up to my door and he was offering to do my driveway. You know, and I'm like, well, you know, I don't, don't really need it sealed right now, but you know, maybe later. So Brian walks over by his truck and he's looking around and he comes back over. He said, man, you should leave. I'm like, what the hell? You tell the guy you should leave, you should leave, man. Okay, so the guy turns around. I said, dude, what'd you do that for? He was just a guy looking for it. No, he wasn't. I said, why do you say that? He said, he says he's going to lay tar on your driveway. I said, yeah. He said, he said he was just working down the street on a house he just finished. I said, yeah. He said, did you see his wife? I said, yeah. He said, was there any dirt on her? She's just sitting there. Diamonds, you know, clean. He said, no, dude, that guy was about to fuck you off. He's about to rip you off. I could see it. That's, and I love that because that's going to help him in a boardroom. Yes, And absolutely. you're right, street smarts. Jay-Z, perfect example. Jay-Z's like my hero. He's younger than me, but he's my hero because that dude, he can't, He's the perfect example of applying street smarts to life. That dude is a genius. Everything, he, I mean, Kevin Durant, signs with the Golden State Warriors, everybody's talking about it. Guess who's man? Guess who's agent is? <laughs> Jay-Z. Guy's a genius. Guy's a genius. Beyonce does a song. Everybody's wondering, is, he, is she talking about Jay-Z? Are they going to break up? Oh, my God, Lemonade. <laughs> Who makes the money? Jay-Z. Jay-Z. It's stream, it, it was only streaming on his setup. That was it. Absolutely beautiful. I'll make a prediction. I think Jay-Z's going to sell the streaming service. Wow. And I think he's going to get over $3 billion for it. Well, when's your tech company coming out? Let's, it's, it's, it exists now. Um, I have to hurry up and make a product. That has buttons on it? That's not old school? It's going to be old school a little bit, but then there's, there's things. One thing I'm doing that is pretty interesting is I'm going to give fans the ability to control a show from the crowd. And, I, you know, I can't say what it is, but they'll be able to take aspects of a performance and modify it. Wow. Well, you know what? I so appreciate you taking yeah. the time to yeah. chat with me today. And and uh, it was really great getting right to on. getting to uh, know you. Yeah, good. You guys right. came all the way here to see a nerd. I, <laughs> I know. And that's what I love. It was unexpected. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. All right. Well, good times. Well, thank yeah. you. There you have it. Sir Mix-a-Lot, self-described tech nerd and rapper who most definitely zigs when other people zag outside the cookie cutter. I'm Carolyn Osorio, a.k.a. Pippi Mama, and until we meet again, what will you do to live your life outside the cookie cutter? <laughs>